Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome to Listen, Money Matters. Money can't buy happiness, but it can buy peace, quiet, and bourbon. <laughs> my name is Thomas, and I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Andrew. Andrew, how are you? And what are you drinking this morning? Actually, wait, it's not morning. It's not even morning for me. No, it's it's evening. It's, uh, what is it, Tom? What time is it 12 12.38. It's not evening. It's not even evening for you. 2.38 oh. p.m. is like, I don't know, solid afternoon. It's like a... It's, the weather's been so weird here. It's it's dark. Oh, is it dark? It snowed yesterday, and it's spring. It snowed for you guys yesterday. Kind of yeah. jealous. I want. Actually, maybe it wasn't yesterday. Maybe it was the day before. No, I think it was yesterday. I was so weird. Um, and I'm just drinking an arrogant bastard because I love the name, and it's tasty. That is. It's from Bourbon Barrels. That's a good name. Almost as good as what was it? Ashes to mashes, nuts to butts. <laughs> yeah, I have that one up on my uh, my wall because it's awesome. This one uh, at the bottom, it says, quite refined, unlike you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, arrogant bastards are so refined. I have got some uh, cinnamon rooibos tea from South Africa. It's pretty delicious. It sounds fancy. It's it's kind of fancy, I guess. I don't know. We go to this tea shop in Boulder, and they have a bunch of rooibos varieties, so... The cinnamon's is it my like favorite. Herby? No, uh, have you ever had like a red hot? Uh, no. Like the candy or like a hot fireball yes. or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. It's like that, but well, it isn't even tea because rooibos isn't tea. It's a different plant, so it's an herbal. But uh, it's just a drink that tastes kind of like a red hot, but without the sugar. Hmm. It has like that really strong, spicy cinnamon flavor. And Interesting. I, don't know, I like it a lot. It's a good tea. So, recently, um, Martin and I, Martin being my co-host on my other podcast and my best friend, decided that we both want to buy houses. We have mm. done the whole living in Colorado thing. It's fun, but the housing market here is crazy. So Insanely expensive there, yeah. Our plan is uh, next year, once our leases end, we're probably going to move back to Iowa and each start the process of finding a house. Now, I, I think we, I think we had, we're a little gung-ho and we were thinking, all right, we're going to move back and buy a house right away. But mm. I think we've each decided that it would be smarter to rent and then use the, you know, local access to the housing market in order to get exactly what we want, you know, not rush into things. But in all the research we've done, we have learned that typically you have to pay 20% of the house's value to get a mortgage. Right. That's like the common wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you have like a $250,000 house, that means you need $50,000 plus closing costs, which are what, like three to 5% of the house's value or something like that? Yeah, I think that's reasonable. So it's quite a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, you need that giant chunk of change to be able to get into the house in the first place. Not to mention or, you want to get a couch for the place or a TV yeah, or I may toilet want to paper. not be sitting on the floor and like borrowing toilet paper from my new neighbors for the whole time. Right. So I didn't want to part with a huge chunk of my wealth getting into a house. And I remember talking to you probably a couple of years ago at this point and, and asking you like what percentage of your net wealth did you part with to get your first place? Mm. And I think it wasn't even half or something like that. So I started looking into the options for getting into a house without putting 20% down. 
And it turns out that there are actually quite a few. Yeah, there's and there's a bunch of programs, and, and I think some of them are like really on the fringes, and so so mm-hmm. didn't include them. But uh, we have five, I think, solid uh, uh, options, and we've weighed like the pros and cons, and like run the costs, so you can get an idea of like you may pay more for this, but whatever. Yeah, exactly. Now, in previous episodes of this show, we have talked about how you can you can get a, a mortgage. Mm. without paying less than 20% down. But in exchange, you have to pay something called PMI, which is private mortgage insurance. And this is something that almost all lenders will require you to have if you're putting less than 20% down. And it's basically just insurance to the lender in case you decide one day that you're going to totally just walk out and stop paying the mortgage altogether. Mm. People who have 20% equity are more likely to not do this because they have a lot of skin in the game. To walk out on their house with 20% equity would would mean to walk out on a lot of their own property. Whereas somebody who had 3% equity, for them to walk out, you know, it's really no skin off their back. So that's why you're required to pay PMI. Mm. Uh, And on previous episodes of the show, we've often said like, PMI is stupid. PMI is flushing money down the toilet. You should never do it. You know, but now that I'm actually considering owning a home in the future, I've been thinking about this more critically, trying to take a more nuanced view on PMI and whether or not it's actually worth it, in what situations it might be worth it, in what situations it's it is still flushing money down the toilet. So I think you're gonna see a a more nuanced view of PMI in this episode. Uh, more detail on it to be sure, and also at least one method of getting into a home for less than 20% down while still avoiding PMI. Yes. Which is kind of the reason we're doing this episode. Well, so it was weird. So we had on the calendar uh, an episode on mortgage PMI and all things, and then you found this thing that we will talk about, and it kind of exploded into into something bigger. Uh, Mm -hmm. But before we jump in, I want to kind of talk about um, like like efficiency of your dollar, right? Because there, there are people who are listening and and I, I totally agree. I, I actually really agree that you know twenty percent is more efficient than ten percent, right? Because you you're paying less interest. You, you're not going to pay PMI, although there, there's something that you could avoid that with. We'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know the most efficient mortgage is the one where you pay a hundred percent of the down payment and there's no interest cost. And uh, as it turns out, interest rates are really cheap. And so we've discussed that a great way to uh, use your capital and perhaps put into other things that'll grow faster as opposed to just throwing in your home, uh, which won't have much growth. So it, I, I think um, uh, the fair comparisons are against a 20% down or a 10% down. Uh, you're, you're committing to paying interest. Um, did, did, did I, I feel like I rambled that. Did that make any sense? I think it made sense. So I think what you're trying to say is like, it isn't, purely about financial efficiency if it were i think you would you would buy like the cheapest possible house that you could get your hands on some derelict shack you would live an ascetic life and you would dedicate every single dollar of income beyond the basic necessities to investments you know that would be Mm. pure efficiency if your your only goal were to grow your net worth as much as possible but life isn't about 
making your bank account balance higher. And perhaps the, you know? the thing is, as in lieu of paying the down payment, you know, as opposed to putting 100% down versus 20, and you put that that extra in investments, the yield would be insanely greater than in your home. So yeah. if that was like the, the barometer, you, you wouldn't put 100% down. So I think the main consideration here in terms of efficiency and, and you know, where you should be saving money versus where you can allow a little bit of inefficiency to creep in is um, what amount of debt is going to is going to be uncomfortable mm. and uh, what, if any, debt you take on, what is that going to do to your long-term financial goals? So if you have a solid retirement plan in place, then any excess left over is basically yours to do with as you see fit in order to live the life that you want to live. And I remember... Um, I remember reading in a book, it was, uh, what's the name of the book? Debt-Free You, which mm -hmm. is a book all about how to go to college without taking on debt. The author stated some research that showed that um, any debt that represented more than 11% of your gross pay per month was rated in a research study as uh, stressful to deal with. So if you were to get into a mortgage with a payment plus property taxes, plus any maybe like HOA fee, plus any PMI, if you had to take it on, that represented 11% or more of your gross pay, uh, that could be seen as uh, financially stressful. Though, now that I'm thinking about it, there is that whole like 30% rule for housing costs. So I would imagine that 11% would be for non-housing related debt. So there's probably some mm. different number threshold that would represent financially stressful situation um, with housing debt versus like a student loan. And perhaps maybe a way to look at it is you could, like we've talked in the show before, put a third down and that's kind of a general appropriate, a quarter to a third of your, your take home. But uh, it say it, you know, so you didn't have to put a lot down. You went from like a third to maybe 40 or 45% of your take home that that would be stressful. That would be yeah. That, it, I think that would be your. It's an additional point. yeah. And I think there's, uh, you know, I, I didn't do the research on the exact term, but I think I've read something, uh, like there's like a whole add-on rule to that like thirty or one-third percent housing cost rule, which is like there's like a, I can't remember what it is. Maybe it's forty-five. Mm. You shouldn't be paying any more than forty-five percent of your gross monthly income on your housing plus your debt costs. Mm. And we could look up what the exact number on that is, but that may represent the point at which it's stressful. So if you can get into something where you are below that threshold on your total debt obligation, including your house, then at that point, the question that you need to ask yourself is, is what I'm getting worth it? You right. know, or should I wait? So say like you're a musician, which I am a amateur, like, you know, for fun musician, I have always wanted to have, but for fairness like, sake, you're, you're kind of an amateur, everything. I'm an amateur, everything. This is true. <laughs> I collect hobbies. Uh, but like, say you're the kind of person who's like always dreamed of being able to own a drum set and mm -hmm. play drums. You basically cannot do that in an apartment building, right? Like your neighbors are going to, they're going to mutiny against you at some day. You're going to be dragged <laughs> out of your apartment and thrown out the window. Uh, so like if you're that kind of a person and that's like, a passion for you, you know you want to do that with your life, and you're looking at like, okay, here's a mortgage that I can get now, I can put 10% down, I'm going to pay some PMI for a while versus renting, or I could wait like three years 
build up 20%. If the PMI is not going to represent a financially stressful situation, maybe that's worth it to you. Mm. Maybe you get a three-year head start on becoming a drummer or something like that. Okay, Or so maybe you want to have a family and you want to have a yard that your kids can play in or something. Let's you know? let's jump into our uh, our examples. Okay. Um, or they're like the products. And uh, just to kind of preface this, uh, we're using a $150,000 property as an example for our numbers. And um, mm-hmm. if you're buying a $300,000 property, you can't just double them. It doesn't work like that. Oh, because there's like percentages and stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so we'll, and there's, I think there are calculators out there that will get you rough numbers for so like any it, property. In our notes, I have a link to calculators for everything. Um, and so okay. we'll include them in the show notes. So if you have your specific example um, for any of these products, uh, you could just run the numbers through through the link. Yeah. Um, so the first one, I think that everyone's kind of heard of, uh, or, or hopefully, uh, it's, it's an mm-hmm. FHA loan. Um and it's 3.5% down. Uh, at least. At, at least, yes. Yeah. And uh, it's like a product through the government to help people who are moderate to low income get into homes that they might not otherwise be able to get into and um, start building equity for themselves instead of paying rent. Mm-hmm. Now, is there a income limit for FHA qualification? I know there is for certain housing assistance programs and first-time home buyer programs. So I can't remember if FHA is one of them. Um, I don't think that there were hard limits. It looked like a lot of it was okay. based on income averages in the area. Gotcha. Okay. I remember there were there were some that I was looking up in Iowa. There were several different first-time home buyer programs, and these are going to vary from state to state because sometimes states offer them. Uh, but I know the ones in Iowa. Some of them had income limits and some of them also had uh, home value limits. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't use this program to buy like a $700,000 baller house. Right, right. You had to get something a little smaller. So the the benefits of an FHA are, are like you said, we could put uh, 3.5% down, which is extremely, mm-hmm. extremely low. Um, some other cool things uh, is that like if you have closing costs, which you likely will have, it is possible for the seller to pay that for you. Um, oh, nice. And to give you some context on that, that's 5250 bucks as your down payment. Right. So, so as opposed to, you know, it being 30000 at 20% or 15000 at 10%, 5250 is is a pretty low amount. Uh, another benefit is often, not always, but often, uh, you will get a lower interest rate with an FHA, FHA loan than any other type of loan. Oh, wow. Which which will also add savings to your monthly payment. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, I guess while we're in here, we should probably mention that there are other costs to home ownership beyond just the monthly mortgage payment, right? Right. So... There is property taxes, homeowners insurance, which, maybe homeowners, homeowners association. Insurance. Yep, and then there's obviously your PMI. Mm. So, uh, and then one of the big cons with FHA and with almost all but one, I think, of the products on this list is that you pay PMI. And to uh, kind of and to put it in perspective, uh, you you would normally pay PMI up to. Roughly when the loan is has 78% of the value of your home, 
78%, and then they would uh, remove PMI. Um, however, with FHA, you can never remove PMI, so it's there for the, the uh, duration of the loan. It Your monthly payment for $150,000 property would be $826 a month, but $101 of that goes to PMI. Um, and also, because you're using this FHA loan and putting so much down, there's an FHA upfront cost that's rolled into your mortgage. So where so so you would like typically if it was a hundred and fifty thousand dollar home, um you your mortgage would be hundred and forty four seven fifty. But there's an additional twenty five hundred that kind of gets added into the uh mortgage. So it, it like cuts your um cut your down payment in half almost because it increased because the loan is uh bigger. Yeah. Uh, there's one thing I want to mention here that you might not have been aware mm. of, um, potentially given that the notes here don't seem to reflect it. In 2013, the government changed the rules about PMI. So before 2013, for a conventional mortgage, once you paid down to that, uh, I think, uh, 22% equity, mm. you could get rid of PMI. Now, and since 2013... Um, if you put down 10% or more down payment, then you can get rid of PMI after 11 years. If you put down less than that, you keep it for life and loan. Even on, even on normal conventional it, loans. Even on a normal conventional mortgage. Yeah. Or actually, you know what? Oh, wait. No, this is FHA. I may be wrong. I think I was reading FHA article the whole yeah, time. Yeah, so, so I'm, I'm, I was actually surprised because... Mm. Uh, you're, you're able to either refinance out of it and, and most uh, yeah. lenders are required at um, 78% of the loan remaining or, or the value of your home ah. to just remove it. So say you bought a home in, in like New York City and it appreciated like astronomically quickly, you, you could actually mm -hmm. appreciate out of PMI. Okay, so I... You know what? This is actually very, I'm very glad we did this episode mm. because I read this article and I didn't realize it was FHA. So I, like the past few weeks, I've been thinking that no matter what, I need to put 10% down to be able to elect to get rid of PMI. But I guess it's, that's just for FHA loans. Yeah. So, but the thing is FHA, there, there's a lot not to like about it. You know, your, mm -hmm. your actual mortgage is going to be larger. Your monthly payment is going to be larger. Um, granted your interest rate may be lower, um, but you can never get rid of PMI. So if you want, if you like need to get a home, want to get a home, couldn't wait. Um, it's, it's certainly an option. We're going to talk about one later on that actually requires less down than, uh, an FHA loan. And, and I think is slightly better. But uh, this, this is a good starter loan, and, and as like a rule of thumb, if your credit score is less than six twenty, you can get a loan with P, with uh, FHA, and uh, it's probably mm -hmm. the one for you. Um, and if you need a cosigner, um, FHA will work as well. So, why do you recommend FHA for duplexes and triplexes and things like that? Uh, th this was actually um, so th there were like what it's good for. Um, so say, for example, uh, you were buying a duplex for, for you and Anna and, for, and your parents were going to stay in the other one. You could actually get an FHA loan for the duplex. Uh, 
over yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's it's okay. I think a, an interesting option, um, and I think a lot of people that uh, would qualify for FHA might be going in with other people, family members, to kind of get something a little bit bigger, um, and not require as much down. So I think that that's definitely a benefit. Gotcha. Okay, so our second option here on the list is your conventional mortgage. Uh, and I, so are you saying here that with a conventional mortgage, 10% down is the minimum or can you go we're, lower than that? We're just, uh, we're just using this as an example. You could actually do okay, gotcha. um, only 3% down with a conventional. So you could do a conventional 97. Gotcha. So if you were to do conventional 97, is that a, is there like a higher credit score you need for that? Than with like FHA? Um, yeah, so so you need to uh, typically, uh, well, okay, it doesn't have to be, but it's not really, like a conventional 97 won't really make sense if your credit score is below 720. They'll, they'll give it to gotcha. you, but it's, it just doesn't make sense. Like you're just going to be more expensive for no reason. That it's going to hit you with a huge interest yeah, rate. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. And you're not going to get the cheaper interest rate like you would with an FHA. Um, okay. So fine. So let's talk about that one before we talk about the the full ten percent down. And maybe it's a good comparison because okay. it's like FHA is three five. With this conventional loan, you yeah. can, you only have to put three percent down. Um, mm-hmm. So your down payment is forty five hundred dollars on a hundred fifty thousand dollar place. Uh, but your but your monthly costs are much higher. So you're going to pay nine hundred seventeen dollars a month. Uh, technically, nine hundred eighteen dollars a month versus an HSA, uh, an FHA's eight twenty six, and that's just off of point five points um, yes. interest, which would be what do they what do they call it fifty basis yeah. points I think. So it seems like such a small shift. Like I'm even looking here on the on the notes, and I'm like four point two five versus four point seven five. That's not too big, but that's actually almost a hundred dollars a month. Yeah. In uh, you know different and uh, granted, you could put only three percent down on this, unlike the FHA, which is three point five. This loan by far is the most expensive one that we'll talk about. Uh, you really shouldn't do this. This is this is you can yeah. do it. It is certainly an option, um, not a good one. Yeah, and there's there's a much better one that we're going to talk about. The one I'm excited about. But first, let's talk about the other conventional op- option here, which is to put 10% down instead of 3%. And then of course you could pay your PMI until you hit your 22% equity. And then, so I think it. this is the the best comparison to the one that I think we're both really excited about where it's uh, mm-hmm. 90% is in the loan. You put 10% down. So for a $150,000 home, you're paying 15,000 down payment. Um, and your monthly costs are going to be roughly $775. So that's going to be at least at first about 170 bucks going mm-hmm. to principal, 534 going to your interest and then about $70 per month in PMI. I mean and the the one thing to consider when we talk about PMI and I think this is a really good comparison to the next one is that PMI winds up being almost 10% of the cost of the loan. So mm-hmm. that that's I I know it's only $70 a month but you know, it's expensive, relatively speaking. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on to the one that I was really excited about. And this is something that I did not know about until probably last week when I put this mm. on the calendar. 
So instead of paying PMI, there is an alternative option, which is to take what's called a piggyback loan. And this is essentially a second mortgage that covers 10% of what wasn't covered by the original mortgage, which covers 80%. So they often also call this a 90-10 No, no, so, so they, they so call it an 80-10-10. Um, sorry, and, sorry, 80-10-10 like, mortgage. You get a first mortgage I for think the best way to look at it, if you were to compare loan. against a, a normal loan. So a normal loan, you'd have, uh, if you're putting 20% down, you'd have 80% loan, 20% down payment. The piggyback loan is just technically you taking a second mortgage out to sh- to to like yeah. split the down payment. So instead of you putting 20% down payment, yeah. 10% of that is a secondary mortgage and 10% is a down payment. So this is basically the same as you going to lending club and taking out a loan for the additional 10% that you can't cover yourself right now. The rates are way better. This is a mortgage. It's a better interest rate. It's it's higher than the first interest rate on your original mortgage, but it's not a ton higher. It's not going to be like what a conventional normal loan would, mm-hmm. would cost you. And it's often just tacked straight on with the same bank, with the same lender during the process as you're closing the house. You don't have to go out and find the loan. So this is interesting because if you can cover 10% down, you can get this piggyback loan. This means that you're not parting with a huge chunk of your wealth right now. And then I think this would be a situation in which it would make sense to accelerate your mortgage payments until you can kill so, that second mortgage. The reason why piggyback loans are so appealing is because there is no PMI. Because um, yep. your first main loan is technically 80, only 80% of the value of the home. You, you don't need to qualify for PMI. And then so... Uh, the second one is at a, a slightly higher rate. Um, and to kind of give you a comparison, if you have a $150,000 home, thir- 20% down is $30,000. So your first mortgage would be one hundred and twenty, And then your second mortgage would be half of the down payment. So it's fifteen, And then you put 15000 for the down payment. Um, and, and what you're implying, and, and I think this is like where you can really win, is you have this second mortgage that is a slightly higher rate and it's only 15000 If you focus fire on this mortgage, uh, on this like secondary mortgage, uh, it could turn out to actually be a cheaper option for you. Yeah. I mean, if you really ex- uh, focus on accelerating that, you could potentially pay it off in a year. And that could mean the difference between getting into a house a year earlier than you think you can mm. right now at relatively little additional cost. I mean, it, w- it would be the additional cost of one year's worth of interest on that second mortgage, and you can do the math on that. But if you can accelerate your payments and get rid of that, you're owning your home, you're building equity a year before um, you were and planning if, on doing if so. if you consider, say, the, the increase in interest rate as like a – PMI equivalent for the second loan, it -hmm. it is so much easier to climb out of that additional payment with a piggyback loan than it is with PMI. Because PMI, you have to like push the needle on like the total value of your home. You have to pay like a lot in um, versus this piggyback loan. It's it's a very small amount. And looking at your math here, it looks like it turns out to be a lower monthly cost anyway than it would with PMI. So... I guess the cons here, 
And uh, so you had written that it's not as efficient as your typical 20% mm. down. The real cons are to get a piggyback loan, you often need to have a decent credit score. It uh, looks like 680 mm. is about the minimum. So if you don't have 680, you're probably not going to be able to get this. Um, they're harder to refinance, but I think that that is a non-issue because you should be you should be taking this option with the intention of killing, killing the secondary loan as quick. So, so you're basically yeah, like, yeah. and then if you wanted to refinance your big mortgage in five mm. years, you could do that. But I wouldn't be taking a secondary mortgage thinking that I'm just going to casually pay that off for 30 years. I'm, I'm like, no, right. that's going to die very quickly. It's just a way to accelerate my home purchase for very little money because of the Although to be clear, payments. if you did casually um, do it, it would still be cheaper than PMI. Like PMI is punitively yeah. high, it, relatively speaking. Uh, let's see here. It's They often have a variable rate. So that rate could change on the secondary mortgage. Again, uh, obviously your risk tolerance matters here, but if you are intending to accelerate payments on that, then you have a lower likelihood of seeing your rate go up before mm. you've gotten rid of it. And I think that's it. Like uh, there's a few other tiny little things that you can look up. We'll have some things in the show notes. But other than that, like I think that if you intend to pay down this mortgage, the second mortgage really quickly, as long as you have a high enough credit score to get it in the first place, it seems like the sensible option if you do want to buy a house before you have that 20% down payment. I agree. And uh, that leads us to our final item on the list, which is home ready loans. So is this through Fannie Mae? Yeah, May? so uh, not all that different from an FHA loan. There's quite a lot similar. Um, the, mm -hmm. uh, the, the numbers work out to be identical to uh, just a conventional 97 loan. So like if you just put only 3% down, that the differences are yeah. that um, – you could have gifts and grants count to your down payment. So like um, your mom could give you money and you could put it to down to your down payment. And uh, like uh, untraditional, non-traditional income sources could be uh, counted towards your loan. So say your mom pays you $500 a month. I, I don't know. There's like a weird scenario, but this could count towards your income. So it- oh. So like in traditional underwriting, the mortgage officer is going to be like an allowance from your mom doesn't count. It, yeah. But so in this, th it this would. is uh, essentially like the government trying to create, uh, they, they, they're creating a competitor for FHA for um, just, a, just a different section of people, I guess. Okay. So I see here that you, oh, so there's typically higher interest rates in the FHA. Uh, is it still going to be lower interest rates than the conventional So it would mortgage? probably be the same. Um, the big difference with FHA is you're not going to um, pay the, the mortgage interest or the, the they call it the PMI equivalent. It's called FHA MIP. That increases the mortgage cost. Mm -hmm. um, so you don't have to pay that, uh, which is good. So, so your loan okay. will be a little less. So I guess uh, why is it the second worst in cost effectiveness behind the conventional 97. Is it equal with the conventional 97 or is, is there something about the 97 that is even worse? Uh, so uh, the, the only reason is that like you get Maybe like just, it's um, harder to get. interesting benefits, uh, like being able to use money from your parents or, or 
family or yeah, it, it's okay. not all that different from it. Gotcha. And I guess that we should highlight here that none of these options is like straight up mm. bad. It's just that they have pros and cons and also different use cases. So the piggyback loan is probably the best one here. Again, assuming that you do not intend to put 20% down, don't want to have decided that that's worth it. Um, that's going to be probably like the mathematically best option here. But again, you have to have that high credit score. I don't, I don't know if 680 is considered high, but it's it's look, not low. I think you know it, uh, it's decent. You could look at an FHA loan and be like, it is a great deal because they let you only put 3.5% down. I actually think that an FHA loan is not that great of a deal because you're essentially getting a higher mortgage than you normally would and you're paying PMI forever. I think that if you were going to mm-hmm. pay less than 20%, the, the piggyback loan is really the... It, it's far and away the best option and you could easily get out of paying more because you put less down. Yeah. Um, as long as you have the credit score to afford it. You know? Exactly. And, and it, maybe it's the case that you should work on getting your credit score up to that point before you try to get a home loan. I don't know. You know, and uh, I don't think that the the credit requirements are, are that high. Uh, we'll, we'll link to some uh, credit stuff that we've done in the past because there are like a few simple hacks that you could do to like easily like go up 30 to 50 points in your score. Um, yeah. Like debitize or, um, I know you and Laura did limit some increases. Of that stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The limit increase thing is big because you could, your utilization goes down instantly if you get a rate mm-hmm. increase or a limit increase. And that's like zero effort on an ongoing basis. <laughs> The, the thing that rescued Laura's um, uh, credit score was more on-time payments. Uh, so, like, if you're, like, uh, say, say you miss some on-time payments, you have, like, a 98% or 97%, just get a bunch of, like, Hulu, Netflix, whatever, throw them on different credit cards and make five on-time payments a month instead of one, and uh, you'll, you'll improve your percentage really quickly. And that's what you guys actually did? That's what Laura did, and I think she has, like, as high or maybe even higher credit score than I do. Really? Yeah. Damn. Maybe you should open a bunch of credit cards. <laughs> right. I should get rid of some of my debt, <laughs> some of my mortgages, and then. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's right. You have all them rental property mortgages. Yeah. Actually, good question. Uh, so, with your rental properties, did you do twenty percent down with all of them, or did you do any of these things? Um, I actually think that I did ten percent. No, I'm sorry. I did 20%. So okay. you can't do, I, I'm almost certain that you can't do 10% down with a rental property. And it, ah. even though, even if you could, like PMI would kind of kill the deal. Ah, okay. It wouldn't like work out with the rental numbers. Yeah. It, I mean, you could make it work. It would crush your return. Gotcha. Okay. It'd be silly. So you've done 20% on both of them. Yeah. But these were properties that weren't super expensive. So... It wasn't they, like, they were all cheaper than 150. It was like 116, 110, and uh, 45. Yeah, and 20% down at 45 is not too bad for right, getting yourself a rental Right, that was my first one. It was very easy to do that <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, but when you're looking at a place that you want to live in, especially if you want to live in a growing city, that's where 20% down starts to be a huge chunk of change. So, yeah. and the, the whole reason that these FHA loans and these home ready loans and all these programs exist is because the government realizes that it's 
difficult for young people to get into home ownership right now. A lot of people have student loans and all this stuff. There's one thing I wanted to add um, that I thought was kind of important. I forgot in the beginning. Uh, It turns out there are these things called DPAs Mm -hmm. or down payment assistance programs. And apparently, and this is like, this kind of was really surprising to me. um, uh, Roughly 87% of people would qualify for DPA or down payment assistance programs. So they're essentially like grants from the government to pay your down payment. Um, It's state by state. And so like if you Google DPA or DPA gov or whatever, you might see like California, New York, a lot of states have them. Um, you should just apply because it's free money for your down payment. It's it's a pretty sweet deal. So, Are they literally just giving you money? Like you don't have to pay it back? I, look, every state has slightly different terms, um, but there are absolutely grants. There there are grants that will pay your entire down payment. Um, I, I think you need to be much more in the low income scale, and obviously huh. there's stipulations, but uh, okay, it, it's a pretty sweet deal. Yeah, if you well, maybe we should do an entire episode on those then. Mm. I'm sure there's lots of details we could get into, but I was not aware of those. So that would be pretty cool to look into. I'm guessing that is definitely going to be a type of program where there are income restrictions. Yeah. But it's still worth looking into. So Perhaps yeah. the mortgage isn't under your name. It's under Anna's name. <laughs> Anna gets still in the house. Yeah. Well, it's possible. I, I mean, if, if she gets grants for the down payment, why not? That's true. Yeah. Free money. And all I have to do is not own my house. (laughs) (laughs) Win, win, win. Sweet. All right. Well, I think that probably covers it for this episode, but I would definitely like to do an episode on down payment assistance. And for any of you guys out there listening to this who intend to buy a house at some point in the near future, you're wondering, you know, what all goes into the process. um, This is something that I am actively researching myself because I want to own a home in the next couple of years. Andrew owns four homes, apparently. (laughs) Baller over here. So Andrew knows a bunch of stuff. I'm researching a bunch of stuff, but we would love to hear your questions. That helps us to develop better episode topics. You can always email us those questions at listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. So let us know what's on your mind. You can also send us silly catchphrases for the beginning of the episodes. And if you want to improve your money knowledge, there's a couple of places you can go. Number one, listenmoneymatters.com slash show, where you can find the show notes for this episode and every other episode. So if you are wondering where we got our numbers from or where you can find some calculators to do your own mortgage payment calculations off of you know the property value you're looking at, you'll probably find calculator links in the show notes as well as our toolbox, which has all of our favorite budgeting tools and investment tools and books that we recommend, all sorts of cool stuff. And that's at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. Check those resources out. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you in next week's episode. Later, man. Later, dude. Please tell your friends about this show.